Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. In 2014, the entertainment industry was devastated and much of the world profoundly shocked at the news that the actor Robin Williams had taken his own life. I mean, he was an absolute comedy genius. He'd made a career out of being one of the funniest people alive, bringing joy and happiness to millions. I mean, if you've seen any of his films, you'll know what I mean. And yet, so much of the shock came because despite the facade of being the funny man and all the success he'd achieved, no one saw the deep personal torment that was eating him up inside. And this high-profile tragedy gives us a profound insight into the fact that despite the external facade we see in so many of the people we encounter every day, many people carry hidden burdens and struggles that are so debilitating and that rob the life, joy and peace from their lives. You know, today in the UK, apparently the biggest killer under men uh, under 40 is suicide. I mean, apparently this last year alone in the UK, 7.3 million people have been prescribed antidepressants and just over 17% of the population that makes up. Apparently one in six of our young people have self-harmed in the last year and one in four of us will be affected by a mental health condition at some point in our lives. The author and theologian C.S. Lewis, he once said this, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it is more common and also harder to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It's easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. This morning we're going to be touching on the subject of depression. I just want to begin by saying that if you've ever suffered with your mental health or with anxiety or depression, you are not alone. You're not an anomaly and it's okay not to be okay. Depression is it's not a reflection of your character or your faith and it's certainly not a reflection of how God feels about you. And there's often this strange stigma attached to mental health, which is, which is crazy because if you have a broken leg or if you come down with an illness, then there's no shame when we talk about it or we ask for help. But somehow there can be with mental health. And I just want to say, as a church, we wholeheartedly say that this is not the way things should be. I mean, fortunately, the Bible has a whole wealth of truth and wisdom on how we can take care of our mental health. And, and we can take comfort in the fact that actually so many of the great heroes of faith that we read about in the Bible suffered with some of the same problems. And today we're going to focus on one of them. If you've been with us these past few weeks, you'll, you'll know that we're in a series that we're calling The Summer of Miracles, where we're following the story of the prophet Elijah, who God used during a really significant time in Israel's history as his mouthpiece to the nation. He used Elijah to oppose this wicked king, King Ahab, and he sought to bring about revival in the land. And the amazing thing is, throughout Elijah's life, we see the most amazing and miraculous things take place. 
Now, we're about to jump into 1 Kings 19, but just to recap so far, up until this point, Elijah has seen so many miracles already. I mean, he's prophesied about a drought in the nation. He's been fed miraculously by ravens. He's seen a never-ending supply of flour and oil so he wouldn't starve. He saw a widow's son raised from the dead. He's seen fire fall from heaven. He's seen people repent and he's prophesied that the rains would return. And then he saw the three and a half year drought that was on the nation come to an end. I mean, in his life, time and time again, he's seen and experienced God stepping into that void where our human ability ends and where we enter the space uh, of complete trust and reliance that God will step up and step in and provide for his every need. I mean, imagine in this moment, I mean, Elijah must have felt on top of the world. I mean, nothing could seem to stop what God was doing. And so it's interesting to read what happens next. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. I mean, that's quite a U-turn, right? I mean, from victory and miracles to instant despair and depression. I mean, to the point where he wants to die. I mean, I feel for Elijah. I mean, all he's done is try to do good and be obedient to what God's called him to. And yet time and time again, he's met with so much opposition and adversity. And at this point, threats. I mean, have you ever been there? I mean, maybe not the threat of your life, but when you're trying to do the best that you can, you're trying to be obedient to God and serve and honour your family and you're trying to give 110% at your work and yet for some reason you're just met with opposition and it feels like you've been criticised for the simple thing of doing the best you can. I mean, I've been there far too often and it's one of the most disheartening feelings that you can feel. I mean, those moments when against the run of play, something just knocks you for six. Life's going great and work is good and family is good. Even your finances are good. And then something happens that just sends it all crashing down. Maybe it's a small comment or a disagreement or maybe a diagnosis or pressure at work. And, and it causes something to take root in your thoughts. And all of a sudden you just get overwhelmed by this deep feeling of anxiety or fear and depression that can be so consuming. In this first bit of the passage that we read, I just want to pick out three things that we can see in Elijah's life that fuel this season of depression and discouragement. And then later on, we're going to see the hopeful, but we see three things that happen that lead Elijah out of his depression. So, so far, Elijah's been obedient to God at every step of the way, and he's seen God done the most miraculous things. But in the beginning of the passage, Queen Jezebel, who's the, the wife of King Ahab, I mean, she has it in for Elijah. She hates him and she threatens to kill him. Uh, and this threat begins to take root in Elijah's thoughts and it begins to riddle him with fear and doubt and discouragement. 
I mean, isn't it interesting how when a thought takes root in our minds, we somehow forget and zone out of all the good stuff going on. We seem to focus in on the bad thing. I mean, the truth is that every battle we face in this life will begin as a battle in our minds. I mean, that's why the Bible has so much to say about what we set our minds on. And so the first thing that we, that we see that fuels Elijah's depression is that he listens to the wrong voice. I mean, as Christians, we believe in a God who is good. It's the cornerstone of who he is. But at the same time, there's also an enemy out there in the world whose objective is, as Jesus said, to kill, steal and destroy. And his means of attack is by getting us to listen to the wrong voice. I mean, that's how things went wrong in the beginning with Adam and Eve, right? I mean, they, they, they chose to listen to the voice of the enemy rather than the voice of God. I mean, there are always going to be voices around us, some that speak at life and truth, but there'll be others that'll be set on bringing us hurt and destruction. And we have a choice. We have a choice whether we entertain in our minds the voice that brings life or the voice that brings destruction. And Elijah began to slip into his depression when he began to listen to the voice of the enemy. The second thing that Elijah does is that he isolates himself. I mean, he was afraid and understandably so. I mean, there's a threat to his life and so he runs away. And for some reason, I don't know if you know this but, or experienced it, but there's something in the human condition that, that often results in us trying to get as much distance between ourselves and the root cause of whatever it is that's causing us depression or fear. I mean, it's like a defense mechanism. You think maybe if I bury it, ignore it, if I run from it, then maybe everything will be okay and whatever it is that's worrying me will just die down a little. But the truth is, the underlying thoughts and the feelings that trigger depression will still be there hovering under the surface. Now, I say this in all sensitivity, but maybe for those who have or are um, suffering with depression, or maybe you will at some point in your life, I want to ask a question. Do we need healing from depression or do we need healing from something else? I mean, all the science and psychology points to the fact that depression is not the root issue. Depression is simply a symptom of something deeper going on. Maybe your health, your self-image, maybe a trauma or grief or the state of your finances or marriage or maybe even worries about the future. I mean, according to leading psychologists, depression is actually your body's defence against stress. And I quote this, they say, since prolonged stress is bad for us, Depression kicks in to protect us from the physiological harm that may result from stress. In other words, so if we, if we run from the root cause or try to avoid it or bury it, the root cause of our depression will always be there. But then the research goes on to say this. They say the only way to ease depression and to kill it is to respond to your mind's signals instead of ignoring them. They say we can respond to depression by first acknowledging our feelings and identifying the real reason that is making us depressed. And so for Elijah to try and get distance between him and the root problem, he isolates himself. I mean, has anyone ever been in that place where life just gets too much and, and we, we withdraw and we pull away from people and sometimes the things we love to do, the things that we once believed God has called us to, and there's just this lethargy that feeds our discouragement that things could ever get better. I mean, for Elijah, the fear that plagued his mind caused him to distance himself. 
and he runs from his calling as a prophet. He, he leaves his servant and then he goes into basically what was the desert to be all alone. You know, isolation doesn't help. I mean, we've probably learnt this these past few months. Isolation doesn't help. It simply fuels depression. So don't cut yourself off. And the third thing that we see uh, that fuels Elijah's depression and discouragement is that he looks to himself. I mean, I have a bad habit uh, and it's almost a predictable cycle of behavior that I see in myself. That, that when pressure mounts or there's any weight of anxiety or uncertainty hovering in an area of my life, I try my best to take control. Uh, my eyes turn in on myself and my situation comes about me trying to take back control. But eventually, when things continue to spiral out of control, it causes my esteem and my confidence to plummet. And the silly thing is, is that I never really learned the lesson. I mean, I'm still learning the lesson today, um, but it never works in my favor. I mean, the more I try to gain control myself, the more insular and the more self-absorbed I become and the worse I feel. I mean, for Elijah, the role of a prophet in the Old Testament was that you were simply to deliver God's message to whoever it was that he wanted to speak to. I mean, a prophet's ministry was never about their own ability to conjure some wise words of wisdom to deliver to some people. It was all about being fully reliant on God and delivering his message to his people. I mean, the only thing required of a prophet was obedience. And until this point, Elijah had done this right from the start up until this point. But in this moment, Elijah says this. He says, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. I mean, up until this point, Elijah has had no control of anything that's happened in his life or his ministry. I mean, it's all been God. But it seems like in his depression that he's tried to take control of himself. And instead of success being dependent on God, it's become dependent on him. And of course, just like all humans, when we don't have control, it feeds his anxiety and his fear and depression we look at this moment in Elijah's life and we can think, wow, I mean, that's a big U-turn. I mean, if, if you could measure the success of the prophets in the Bible, I mean, Elijah has to be well up there at the top. And yet in this moment, depression and discouragement is, is plaguing him so much that he wishes he could die. It's interesting how success doesn't protect you from depression. I mean, fame and money and reaching the top rung of the career ladder doesn't immunize you against depression. I mean, we see it all too often in the media, the ones who have made it, the ones who have it all, the rich, the successful, the ones whose lifestyle that so many of us envy, sometimes it gets all too much and too often we read that it ends tragically. But you know what? However far we run, however low we feel, however far off that hope feels for you, maybe even now, I want to say this, God is always close. And the psalmist writes in Psalm 139, where can I go from your presence? If I go to the heavens, then you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there as well. And it's here in Elijah's life that we see God's goodness and grace as he meets Elijah in his lowest moment. So there were three things that I noted that fueled Elijah's depression. And now we're going to see three things that help him break free from his depression. And so the first thing that we see that leads to his freedom and his healing is that Elijah listens to the right voice. 
I mean, at the beginning of the passage, Queen Jezebel, she sends this messenger that speaks death and destruction. She says, I'm going to take your life. But then God sends a messenger who brings life to Elijah. We read this in verse five. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. I mean, at this moment, Elijah has two options. I mean, does he listen to the internal voice which plagues his thoughts, the voice of the enemy which wants to bring death and destruction, or does he choose to listen to God's voice that says, Elijah, arise, get up and eat? I mean, in our lives, there are so many competing voices going on all around us, and we have a choice what we listen to. And I wonder, kind of, are there voices in your life at the moment that you need to turn down the volume on? the voices of lies and discouragement. I mean, are you giving those voices too much airtime in your thoughts? And instead ask yourself the question, are there voices in your life which the volume needs to be turned up on, the ones that need to fill your mind? I mean, thankfully, Elijah listens to the voice of the angel and he gets up and he looks around and he sees that God's provided some bread and water. And now this happens twice for Elijah. I mean, the second time, this is what the angel says to him. He says, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. You know, the road into his depression was in listening to the wrong voice. The road out of it was listening to the right voice. And when he did, he began to see that all God had made available to him. So he had the strength to keep going. We see the second thing that lifted Elijah from his depression in the next bit of the passage. So let's read together. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. The Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I love this moment. I mean, you might know the passage well, but just picture the scene, and like, here's Elijah, I mean, he's, he's come to the end of himself. And he's full of fear and discouragement and weighed down with depression to the point that he wants to die. Now, I think if there was ever a time that he needed God to show up in power, it was now. I mean, have you ever had those moments when life gets too much, when you come to the end of yourself and, and you just cry out to God and say, God, I need you. I need you to show yourself. When I read this passage, I can't help but think, God, why didn't you show up in the fire or the earthquake or the wind? I mean, if there was ever a time to show how real you are, then surely it was then. 
But in that moment, Elijah didn't need the big signs and wonders. He, he didn't need the big displays of God's power and might. He'd already seen them. What Elijah needed in his lowest moment was a whisper. Because it's in a whisper that you realise how close God really is. You know, the biggest gift that God gives us, the most healing balm to our brokenness and discouragement is the intimacy of his presence. And it's what Jesus died to give us. I mean, there's something about when a person whispers that requires us to come close. I mean, if your mind is so consumed with negativity and conflicting voices and discouragement and the struggle to hold on to hope, the chances are that you don't need a loud, booming voice. The chances are that you need the gift of his presence. And with God, there's always an invitation to come close. But just like Elijah, it requires that we step in to that invitation of his presence. And so the second thing that we see, the thing that pulled Elijah further into his depression was that he isolated himself. He distanced himself and he forgot about the power and presence of God. But what pulled him out of his depression was responding to God's invitation to come close. And it's in this moment that God has Elijah's full attention. And it's here that God speaks. And he says this to Elijah. He says, what are you doing here? Elijah. I mean, it's the second time that God has asked this question, and it's not as if God is asking because he doesn't know, but I think the fact that he asks it twice, it's, it's almost like a question of reproach. It's almost as if God is saying, Elijah, this is not where you're meant to be. You don't belong isolated and alone up on a mountaintop. You belong back out in the world, carrying out the work and the purpose to which I've called you. But then Elijah replies, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. I mean, the problem for Elijah is that he's still trying to make this crisis all about him and his ability or lack of it. I mean, he's still gripped by the fear that things are out of his control. And so thirdly, you see that the thing that led Elijah into his depression was that he made this all about him. He made it all about I. And yet the way that God helps draw Elijah back out of his depression is by reminding him that it's all about I am. It's all about God. And so here what, here's what he does. In verse 15, we read this. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. In my 34 years on earth, I know how hard it can be when, when discouragement and the feelings of depression can take a hold. I mean, when I'm filled with feelings of insecurity and inadequacy, it sets me on a downward spiral where I become so wrapped up in my own failure. But what I've come to learn and what I'm still having to, to relearn is that God has far more faith in us than we will ever have in him. I mean, for Elijah, for those looking on the outside, I mean, he looked like a failure. I mean, he was the coward that ran away. But God 
as he always does, shows so much grace and so much faith and belief in Elijah of who he is, that he sends him back out with a renewed mission uh, to fulfill the purposes which God has for him. I mean, the whole storyline of the Bible is one in which he uses the most vulnerable, the most broken and imperfect people to work through in order that he fulfills his plans and purposes on the earth. And that hasn't changed. He wants to use you and I. And maybe for some of us today, discouragement or depression has caused you to run away from the very things that, you, that once brought you life, fulfillment or, or joy and purpose. And maybe you've run away from something that was God's call on your life because you felt like you weren't good enough or you messed up and I think God wants to say to you as he said to Elijah go back the way you came I've not finished with you yet there is so much more that he wants to do in and through you and you know right at the end of this passage God assures and reminds Elijah you know the things that I've called you to your purpose isn't all dependent on you or your your ability or your success or lack of it I mean bear in mind Elijah's ministry was all about Uh, urging the people of God to turn away from other gods to worship the one true God. And he'd hardly seen any of it happen. And then God kind of says to him, don't carry the weight of failure because because look what I will do. And the Lord says this, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all of whom knees haven't bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Corrie ten Boom, she sums this up so well. And she once said this, she said, If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. And maybe maybe today you struggle with the deep feeling that you're not good enough and it keeps fueling the fire that causes the feelings of depression and discouragement. And I want to encourage you, take your eyes off I and make it about I am. Make it about him. You know, God's power isn't dependent on your performance or your personal success. God's power in your life is made perfect in your weakness. Maybe today you're in a season and you can just identify so well with those feelings of discouragement and depression. I mean, one of the best things you can do today, if you haven't already, is talk to someone. Don't keep silent. I mean, we're a church that is all about community, a community that cares deeply for each other and that are set on championing each other in the good times and the bad. So don't do this alone. But maybe this morning you need to take note of those competing voices in your mind. You need to turn up the volumes on the right kind of voices to feed your mind with good things. Maybe for some you have retreated and you try to isolate yourself in the hope that those thoughts and the feelings will just go away and shut everything out but the truth is God is never distant and he offers you an invitation to come close to be with him in the stillness and the quiet so he can speak the words that you need to hear and then for those who feel the burden of inadequacy and not feeling good enough, know this, that God believes in you way more than you will ever believe in him. I mean, that's why he sent Jesus. Our worthiness and, and feeling good enough isn't dependent on what we do or what we have done or will do. It is all dependent on who Jesus is and what he has done. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the truth that you are never far off. 
you, um, you never turn your face away. You are always a God whose posture is one that wants to come close to us. And whatever place, whatever season or circumstance we find ourselves in, you want to draw close to us. And so in this moment, we receive that invitation again and we choose to come close. We choose to to listen to the voice that speaks life and truth. We choose pursuit of your presence where there's healing and life and comfort and peace. And God, we want to let go of control where we're trying to grasp and make things right, knowing that actually all things are made right in you. God, whatever it is that's on our hearts and minds this morning, we give it to you. We say, take them. And Holy Spirit, may we receive your life and your power and your freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org slash media.